Amen. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. Well, good morning. So glad you're with us today at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, we have been in this series called Grounded. It's about the Bible. How do you feel about the Bible? What is it, what is it to you in your life? What is your conviction about the Bible? About a year ago, God laid on my heart that we as a family needed a common conviction, that we as a family needed a common foundation that we value the Bible, the Word of God, that we love the Word of God, that we uh, esteem it, right? That we live by it, that we try to find our our lives uh, under it, its authority, and that it becomes to us something so precious. And so I started studying and praying and preparing for this series we've been in for the last several weeks. And today we uh, wrap up that series. My prayer, listen, my prayer for us, I know for me, is that this series, at least in our conversations, has renewed uh, a desire for God's word in your life. That it has at least opened your eyes maybe to some things you didn't know or, or reminded you of some things that maybe you've forgotten but that God's word would be ever important in our lives in a culture that just is exceedingly unstable, in a culture that is exceedingly broken and dark, that God's word would be light and life to us, right? That we would value it, that we would place our lives under it, that it would give us that stability in life. We've talked about the fact that it can be trusted And again, in our culture right now, it feels like there's not much or many people that can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. It gives us stability. We we talked about the fact that it's eternal. Apart from our life in Christ, what, what do you have around you that's eternal? God's word is an eternal word. We've talked about the fact that it teaches us all that we need for life and godliness. But I, I do wanna be clear this morning. I want to make just a very clear statement. We've been talking about the Bible and how much we love the Bible and we value the Bible, but one thing we don't do with the Bible, we don't worship it. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible revealed in Jesus. Okay, the Bible gives us all of God's heart, his plan, his thoughts, but we don't worship a book. We worship the God of this book, right? So let's be clear about that. Even Jesus sort of kind of explain that to the Jews that he was with in John 5, 39. I want to show you this. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. See, what he's saying is, these are important. This is God's word written to us. We ought to esteem it and value it. But really what we ought to get from this is the fact that it's all about Jesus. It's these scriptures that that bear witness about who he is and what he's done and the life that we have in him by his grace. Uh, Our text this morning that I want us to get into is is really fascinating. I mean, I've always loved it, but you know, until you really dig deep into something, for me, it's like I just have a new appreciation for this uh, gospel writer, for this text, and for what is being said, and I still don't completely understand it, okay? But it's fascinating because, you know, we've been talking about being grounded in the Bible, in the Word of God. And yet in our text, we're going to look at John 1 in just a minute, John 1, 1, and a few other verses. But in that text, as you're finding it, it says in that text that, that 
Jesus is the word of God. So it's a head scratcher. So we, so we value the Bible, the word of God, but is the Bible Jesus? Is Jesus the, like, why does it work, right? Well, we're going to get into that. But on top of that, in this fascinating text, we see that in, in this Christmas season that we're in, and this is a, you know, we're getting close, right? And I've loved these Christmas songs and especially having studied this this week. Uh, we see that this is a, a Christmas text. And we're going to get into that as well. So open your Bible, if you will, to John 1. We're going to go from one, verse 1 to 5, and then we're going to drop down to verse 14 as well. Let's read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Drop down to 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we, uh, we approach this time, I pray, the way we do every single week, which is, Uh, we, we hold it in such a value that, God, we, we, this is a sacred moment. When we read from your word and we, we pray to the author of this word and we say, God, we need you to help us understand it. Lord Jesus, you said that the spirit would come and lead us to all truth and that is our prayer this morning, God, that you would take this text and you'd help us in some way to wrap our brain around something that is otherworldly. And that you'd help us to wrap our hearts, God, around the parts that we do understand, that we can comprehend, that we can see you doing unbelievable things for us because you love us so much. And God, help our hearts to believe. Help us to trust you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, increase in this time as we study your beautiful word, and that I would uh, decrease, God, uh, and that together, Father, we would know something more about you, be closer to you, lean in, God, to the life in you more than we have before today. And that you'd give us courage, Father, to trust you, to be who you want us to be. And we pray it in Jesus' precious and perfect name. And God's people said, amen. So the first, the six things I want to show you this morning. The first is this, Jesus is the word of God. Right? We've talked about being grounded in the Word of God, but let's be real clear. Jesus is the Word of God. It's the title of the message. Um, and it's kind of confusing. I told the team this past Monday, I'm like, you guys pray for me. This is, I feel like I'm, I'm wading into some water that I can't, I can't <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's confusing. Have you ever, you know, one of my favorite things, I know you can't tell, but one of my favorite things about Christmas is the desserts of Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? Have you ever had a dessert, and I know you have, where you take a bite of this dessert, and it's so good, when it touches the lips, where it's so good, right? And after you take a bite, you go, whoa, that's so good. It's so rich. That's the next phrase that you say, right? It's just so rich. In other words, to me, what that means is, I want another piece, but I want to just kind of savor what I got for a minute, but 
It's so rich. That is the text we have today. It tastes so good, but we got to just take it slow because it is so rich. There is such depth theologically and and in meaning of what we're going to study today. Uh, Like I said, I'm going to do my very best, but I'm going to leave you wanting (laughs) because this is uh, hard to wrap our brains around, and yet by God's grace, he'll give us, hopefully get us a little closer to what he wants us to know. So what the first thing I want you to see is in the book of John, the first three words John uses in the beginning are the exact same three words that Moses uses in Genesis 1, right? Moses says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so now we know from that that God created the heavens and the earth. John is going to give us a little bit more detail when he says, he's going to use the exact same three words, in the beginning, but he's going to change it from there, and it's going to be, in the beginning was the word, And he goes on. He's going to give us more information about this creation story. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, John uses this Greek word logos. It means word. Uh, What it it means is, specifically, is uh, an expressed thought, an expression of a thought, or a spoken word, or a revelation, right? That's that's what logos is. Uh, What's interesting, and I think you need to see this this morning, this is really interesting to me. When we look at the other gospels and we see the other gospel writers writing, uh, John writes about something a lot different. In fact, 90% of John's gospel is different than the other gospels. 90%. So Matthew wants you to know about the Christmas story, about Jesus, that he is connected in the lineage of King David. And so in the beginning of Matthew, he shows us genealogies. And he wants us to see that prophetically, and even bloodline, he is connected to King David. Therefore, he is Messiah, that Matthew wants to show us. Uh, Luke wants to show us all the things of the human experience. Mary, Elizabeth, the angel coming in. He wants to show us that kind of that side. Mark's gospel starts basically at John the Baptist. So he kind of skips all the, the birth story and all that stuff and starts with John the Baptist and then Jesus coming along to be baptized. John does something totally different. John wants us to see a whole nother side of the story, not the earthly side, not the human side, the heavenly side, the eternal side. He he wants us to pull back so far and see that Jesus is God. He's not just, as Daryl said this morning, not just a little baby in a manger, Not just a man that grows in stature and favor with the Lord, gives his life for us. He is eternally God. How do we wrap our brains around that? I'm not sure, and we're trying, but John wants distinctively for us to know that this is the story. That Jesus is eternal, that God became a man. That he laid his life down for us, he was crucified, He, he rose again, all for our sins, Right, so that we would know him, that we would believe. And John's gospel is about belief. We're going to get into that in a minute. But So John starts from this spiritual, otherworldly, eternal perspective of the story. Logos means revelation of God. Jesus, in other words, is the perfect revelation of who God is. Jesus shows us who God is. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the old times, God would speak to us through prophets, 
those prophets would write that down. Before they would speak for God, they would say, and the word of the Lord said, and the word of the Lord is. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. The writer says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen to this. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God spoke through prophets, and then God spoke through the logos, the word, who is Jesus. I, you know, I'm a little, a little thirsty. Hang on a second. Hey, babe, can you hand me that thing of water right there? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, truth be told, I'm not really thirsty at all. I just wanted to show you an example of something. See, in my mind, I said, I, I'm thirsty. I need water. You didn't see it. You didn't hear it. It was in my mind, right? It was a thought. I then expressed that thought through spoken word to Lori, right? Logos. I expressed that spoken word to her, and she, in turn, made something physical happen as a result. Now, that's an imperfect example, but I want you to just kind of get a sense of this relationship between Jesus and God the Father, and that Jesus is the spoken word. He is the logos of God. Here's the thing we need to see. God is spirit. God the Father is spirit. He's invisible, exists in a spiritual realm. We're physical. I, I see things. I touch things. I, I don't understand the invisible. I can't see it, right? That's who God is. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has made him known. So God the Father's spirit, he's, he's invisible. God the spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he is invisible as well. We can't see him. Uh, there's this wonderful conversation that goes on between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about the spirit. Really interesting. Jesus says, oh, the spirit, he comes and goes. You don't know when he does what he does. He's unseen. But Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, is seen. He, he is the only member of the Trinity that, that makes himself physical. Try to wrap your brain around this. Before, however, he was a physical being, word made flesh, Jesus was in charge of making all physical things. He was in charge of, of making all things. In fact, not only all physical things, all visible and invisible things, Colossians tells us. So Jesus is responsible for doing those things, for creating those things. And as he does it, it reveals the very nature of this invisible God. God has a thought. He expresses that thought through spoken word, through logos, through Jesus and listen to this, Jesus accomplishes God's will. That's what he does. That is Jesus' role. God has a will and Jesus accomplishes it. God wants creation. He speaks through Jesus, the word. 
He is the word of God. He is the, the logos. He is the thought expressed. He is the revelation. And Jesus creates. It, it, it's, it's, it's incredible to try and wrap your brain around. So Jesus creates, and then the spirit cares for creation. I, I want us to camp out for a little while today on verse 14. We're going we're gonna to unpack all these verses, but at verse 14 just breaks it down for us. Jesus, this external, this eternal, unbelievable, otherworldly being called the Word of God becomes a man, becomes an embryo, becomes a baby. This eternal God becomes man. The holy becomes human. Word becomes flesh, and he dwells among us. The prophecy that said the virgin will conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Well, verse 14 says that's what happened. The word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. He was God with us. He was Emmanuel. So Jesus is the word. You know, it helps me. I don't know about you. I'm a simple guy. I like to read our text, and I'm going to read it for you. But I'm going to put Jesus' name wherever there is uh, implication of, his, of, his, of the word. So it's, it reads like this. In the beginning was Jesus. It helps me. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the word of God. So by God's grace, we have what you're holding right now, whether on your phone or in your uh, lap or what you have at home, you've got this Bible. It is the word of God. It is the written, spoken word of God. Praise God we have it. What a gift it is. We need to ground our lives in it. But we worship the God of the Bible who is also titled the word of God. And that word gives us eternal life. It saves us. So God has spoken to us, and he's revealed himself to us through Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Jesus is eternal. Look what it says in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is and, and was eternal. He existed. Again, stay with me for a minute. We're chewing on that first bite, right? Jesus existed before time and space. He's eternal. By the way, if you can exist before time and space, you're God, right? He's eternal. So even as Moses tells us that, that the, he, we begin to create, and we know now from John's gospel that Jesus is the one who's created and others, we see that Jesus is eternal. He's outside of time and space. And as he begins to create on the first day, on the second day, right, he's creating time and space. Jesus is creating these things. He stands outside of eternity. He's at the beginning of time. He is at the end of time. Look with me in Revelation 19, 13. We'll have it up here for you. It says, he is clothed in a robe uh, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. To give you a little context on this verse, this is the, this is the section where Jesus is uh, riding on a white horse. 
And he has this robe and he's, he's ready to ride against injustice and, and those who've opposed him, right? And, and many theologians believe that this blood is the blood of his enemies on this robe. But do you notice the name that he has at the end of time? At the beginning of time was the word, right? In the beginning was the word. And at the end of time, Revelation 19, 13, his name is called the word of God. Why? Because Jesus accomplishes God's will. So if it's creation, Jesus accomplishes it. If it is justice at the end of time, Jesus accomplishes it. God has his thought. Jesus is that spoken word, that revelation. He is eternal. Look, look at this. Uh, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. You look at that and you go, didn't he already say that? Yeah, he did, which means he's saying it twice. John is trying to be so clear here that we get this understanding. Jesus is not just the sweet little eight-pound little baby Jesus boy, right? Jesus is the eternal God of the universe. He's saying it twice. He, it says, in the beginning was Jesus. And then verse 2, he was in the beginning. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Make sure you get this. Do you get it? Do you understand God is eternal? Jesus is eternal. It's dense. It is an interesting theology that John would repeat twice and be sure that we understood it. He also wants us to know that Jesus was with God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. What he's trying to say to us here is that Jesus is a part of what we call the Trinity. He is a member of the Trinity. He's important because he is with God. There in the beginning, not only is he eternal, he is a part in relationship with God. And we see, uh, at least in this passage, the two, uh, God the Father and God the Son. So he's with God. Look what uh, Genesis says, Moses says in, in, in verse 126. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So Moses is helping set up this Trinitarian perspective. That we serve a God who is three in one. Distinct and yet together. Now there are faiths that don't believe the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, the Mormons, they don't believe in uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, which goes against many scriptures, very many, and I'm going to show you some of them. So if, if, if somebody doesn't believe in the Trinity, they don't believe in the, in the Holy Word of God. It makes their religion a false religion. It makes what they believe a cult. And we have to be true and understand what it is that they believe and what they don't believe. We believe that Jesus is a part of the Trinity. It's referenced many times. He's not only eternal, he's also with God. Look, uh, you don't have to look this up, but what about the Great Commission? I didn't put this up for us because we know it so much. We talk about it so much. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, I have all the authority given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of what? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you, this is one of the most important verses in all the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Do you think Jesus, in this moment, right before he ascends to heaven, and he says to, to 
certify, if you will, that baptism, certify that discipleship, salvation, salvific moment in a name that matters. And he says which name, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So that's from Jesus. Look at some of these other texts. John 14, 26, but the helper, that's one, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Look over another chapter, John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, that's the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. Trinity. Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Trinity. 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ. God is three in one. And our Savior, the word of God, is the second member of that trinity. Right? This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we believe. There's a lot of other texts that talk about the Trinity, but John uh, wants us to get this so clearly. From this heavenly perspective, Jesus is God. That, that's the next thing that I want to show you. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he was eternal, he was a part of the Trinity, and the Word was God. Confusing, isn't it? How can you be with God and yet be God? Yep. Sure can. <laughs> Jesus is the word of God. He's eternal. He's a member of the triune God. But he is also distinct as God. How do we know that? How do we know that? Look at uh, Colossians uh, 1.19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all that is God, all the fullness of what makes God God was pleased to dwell in him. Jesus comes as the revelation of God. He shows us who God is, his nature, his image. He reveals God to us. But like many disciples in this room probably, his disciples didn't quite get it. It's a head scratcher, right? Look what happens here in John 14, 8. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, uh, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Have I not shown you some pretty cool things here, Philip? Things that people can't do, right? God only can do these works. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians 1.15 says, the Son is the image, he is the image of the invisible God. We can't see God, but guess what? We can see his image in Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus, uh, in his ministry, you know, he, he, he's the, 
speaking truth. He's speaking who he is. He's speaking his true relationship with, with the Father. And people are trying to understand that. And he speaks about his equality with God. John 5, 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now why would Jesus, in any form or fashion, make himself equal with God? Why would he do that? Unless he was equal with God. And he was, and he is. Jesus makes a definitive statement. <laughs> I love this, this story in John 8, 56, where he says to some Jews around him, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, wait just a second. <laughs> You're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus drops the mic, right? Verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Can you feel the weight of that statement? Jesus has just said, I saw Abraham pleased about me, pleased about my time and about me coming. Abraham, he, he was glad. Wait a minute, you saw, you saw Abraham? I not only saw him, I'm before him. And Jesus uses this godly language that God uses throughout the Old Testament. When God speaks of, of the fact that he was in the past, in eternity past, he was in the present, that he's in the future, he doesn't have to qualify any of those. He just says, I am. And Jesus himself uses this phrase as if he is God because he is God. That's the reason he can do that. Well, you can imagine that statement didn't go over so well with those Jews. In fact, they turned to grab some stones to kill him, and Jesus disappears, which, again, is something only God can do. He disappears. He hides himself from them. He wasn't afraid of them. He, this wasn't his time. John MacArthur says Jesus did God-like works. He, he did divine works. He had divine titles that belonged only to God, and yet Jesus had them. He was eternal. He was omnipresent. He was omniscient. He was omnipotent or omnipotent. He was uh, sovereign. He was all-glorious. Jesus created. He raised the dead. He overpowered Satan in the kingdom of darkness. He forgave sin. He received worship. How many stories do we have in the Bible where angels show up, and they're so magnificent that people fall down on their knees to worship, and the angels say, get up. You don't worship me. How about the, the situation we've studied in Acts where Paul is preaching and they think he's Zeus or whatever the case may be and, and, and they fall down before him to worship and Paul says, get up, I'm just a man. I can't be worshiped. But Jesus, on the other hand, allows people to worship him. Why? Because he's God. He speaks of answering prayer as God. He, he qualifies answering prayer. Ask anything in my name. He's the qualifier of prayer because he is God. MacArthur says these and many others are the evidences of his deity, the fact that Jesus is God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells 
bodily. I don't understand how. The God of the universe, the scripture says, makes the earth his footstool. Is complete and dwells bodily. The fullness of God in the embryo you can't see with the human eye. Our amazing God. So Jesus is God. And as God, he created all things. Here's the, here's the uh, fifth thing I want you to see. Jesus is creator. Verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Those seats you're sitting on, those clothes you're wearing, your person, your family, every single thing, visible and invisible, Jesus made it. Everything. Again, John is filling in information. Like I said, in, in, in uh, Genesis, Moses tells us God created the heavens and the earth. In, in John here, he tells us the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, is the one who is creating. He's given us more information. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul writing in Colossians even talks about the fact that he's eternal. He's before all things. And that he is God because he holds all things together. And only God could do such a thing. I'm so thankful that this otherworldly, holy being called the Word of God came to this planet. That God sent his only Son First John 1, verse 4, he says, In Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope today. Because it feels fairly dark. Moments of our country, moments of, of society, moments of human nature. There's some dark things out there. But the darkness has not overcome the light of Jesus. <laughs> Amen? The darkness has not overcome his light. And his light is the light of men. It shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And so we look towards the celebration of Jesus' birth and Christmas. This is a season where we talk about his birth for three or four weeks in Advent. Which just means waiting, anticipation, the sixth thing I want you to see is that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, this isn't just uh, an answer to prophecy. This is not just information about the Christmas story. This is an essential tenet of our faith. This is very important that we understand and that we believe Jesus was this eternal God. John's done all he can to try and help us understand the other side, the heavenly side, the supernatural side of this gospel story. That Jesus is eternally God. 
It's important that we know that that eternal God became a man. The Word, this, this being, holy and perfect, otherworldly, became flesh. There's, there was a song years ago by an artist, Chris Rice, I think. And he, he has this phrase, and as a songwriter, it always made me go, ooh, that's good. <laughs> you know, every time I heard that little phrase, he said, he wrapped his injured flesh, he said, he wrapped our injured flesh around him. This holy, perfect being wraps around himself the injured flesh of humanity, the broken, fallen, sinful nature of humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God becomes a man. The creator of all things takes on flesh, becomes a baby to redeem us from our sin. So as I close, listen. Jesus was and is the Logos, the Word of God. He's eternal. He's with God, part of the Trinity. He is God. He is creator. He is God with us, Emmanuel. You know, I love in John's writing, and we've covered a lot of John texts today, but I love in John's writing how he always interjects personal aspects of his life with Jesus, right? It's not that he gives these theological statements that are weighty, they're difficult to, to understand and, and take in and live by. How, do we, how is somebody the word of God with God and yet God? I mean, he gives this heavenly weighty statements, but then he also interjects these testimonial statements. We have seen his glory, right? Look at this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, theological, foundational to our faith. And then he says, and we've seen it. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And can I tell you, you may, not, you may not know this. John writes the gospel of John and then he writes these epistles. John 1, 2, and 3. 1 John 1, 2, and 3. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, I guess. Those epistles are like his commentary on the gospel of John. So look what he says we know what he said in John 1. What does he say in 1 John 1? Well, it's kind of a commentary on the gospel. 1 John 1, 1 and 2 says this. That which was from the beginning, the word, Jesus, which we have heard. Again, this is eyewitness personal testimony. Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. John says, he was God. We saw this life manifest as a human being. We touched him. We heard him. We lived with him. We saw all these miracles. In fact, John writes the gospel of John so that you would believe this. He believed. He saw things very few people got to see. He got to be with Jesus in, in places uh, where all the disciples didn't get to go. It was amazing, John's testimony. And he writes the book of John so that we would believe. It's the purpose he writes. In fact, let me tell you this. He uses the, a few words a lot of times. He uses the word love in the Gospel of John 80 times. Because he wants you to know how much God loves you. He uses the word truth 25 times in the Gospel of John. 
because truth matters to John. In fact, if you count how many times he uses it, even in the, the epistles, it's 45 total. But he uses the word believe in the gospel of John 100 times because he wants you to believe that an eternal God would take on our injured flesh and become a man and pay our price for sin. And this is exactly what John says, John 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. (laughs) I couldn't put them all in here. But these that are in here, these that are written, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everybody look right here just for a second, can you? We're almost done. Here's the thing. God wants you to live your life grounded to his word. Stable. He wants you to have a worldview that no matter what happens in your life, whether it be sickness or death or loss of a job or confusion or depression or whatever, abuse, he wants you to be able to step back and say, what does God's word say about this? How do I live my life through the brokenness of this world according to God's word? That's the purpose of this series. And what breaks my heart is I think many of you and many of believers around the world living through the brokenness of this world and they never even think to say, God, what do you think? How are you going to use this according to your word? So hear this. God wants your life grounded in his word. He wants you to be able to step back and see a worldview of God through his word. But ultimately, being grounded in God's word is not just about knowing the Bible. It's about knowing Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. I said it many times in this series. It's a meta-narrative of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he will do. He is the word of God and he is all important in this work, in this book. So I just asked the question this morning, real simple. Are you grounded? What happens when something happens in your life? What happens to your heart? What are the things you say? What are the things you do? What, what, are the, what are the steps of process you have in your life? Does God's word factor into that? Do, do you knowing him as your savior factor into that? And go, God, this was the hardest thing I've ever walked through, but I know we're gonna get through it because you're with me. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me because that's what your word says. And Jesus, I trust you because this is your life living through me. And your spirit is in me and has sealed this truth in me. Are you grounded in his word? And as the last message in this series, can I say, if not, friends, will you please, please discover the beauty and the value of God's word. And in the middle of that, may we see the main character, the one that it's about, the one that was before everything, the one that holds all things together. His name is Jesus. And we celebrate him this Christmas as he came, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Can I ask you this? Do you know him? Is there anybody here that doesn't know him? No, really, just for a minute. You bow your heads and close your eyes. Do you know him? 
Because that's what Jesus, what John was saying in, in chapter 20. I'm writing these things. I'm telling you about these miracles. I, I'm showing you what happened because I want you to believe. Maybe you've been playing church for a long time. Maybe you've never even been to the church. Maybe this is the first day you've been. Maybe this is the first time you're watching something on a broadcast that has anything to do with Jesus. Do you know him as your savior? Even with the voice of John, I I would just say to you, will you believe now? Will you trust him now? Will you give your life to him now? All the miracles he's done. The fact that he, eternal God, became man. He took on our injured flesh to save us. What is your response to that? If right now you're sitting where you are, and you would say, Drew, I don't know if I know Jesus. I don't know. I'm honest, being honest. I may not know Jesus. I may not be saved. I may not have a relationship with Jesus. Would you pray for me? Nobody's looking right now. Would you just lift up your hand and put it right back down? If that's your heart. If you just don't know, and you want somebody to pray for you. Is there anybody? Be honest enough just to say thank you. I'm just not sure. Anybody else? I want to know today. I want to believe. Anybody else? Okay, brother. Okay. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, to forgive you. And now he's calling you to believe. Maybe you're watching this morning and you've never trusted Jesus to be your savior. I want to just pray a simple prayer. And as I pray this prayer, I want you to know you can borrow my prayer, okay? My prayer won't save you. You have to believe in your own heart. You have to confess your own sin. You have to believe. But my prayer can guide you, and you can pray my prayer as a guide. So I'm going to pray right now. If you just a moment ago said, I'm not sure if I'm saved, I'd like to believe today. I want you to pray this prayer. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, that he can save you today, that God raised him on the third day, and that eternal God came to be a man to save you from your sins. If you believe that, pray with me right now. Father God, thank you for sending your only son, your eternal, holy, perfect son to this broken and sinful earth to wrap our injured flesh around himself, to take on sin itself, all of our sin, God, I believe that he did that. I believe he lived a holy life, and I believe he laid his life down as a sinner in a sinner's death to save me, to forgive me of my sin, to give me life. And Lord, I want to believe now. I want to believe, Jesus. Would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you help me? Would you change my life? I repent, God, of who I've been so that I can be who you want me to be. Change me for now, for all eternity, God. By your grace and in your mercy, would you do it? Please, Lord. No matter where you are, if you're in this building, if you're watching from home, if you prayed that prayer with your heart and you believe God does a miracle because he loves you and he changes you and he saves you. And Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Father God, that is my prayer that maybe somebody here today has prayed that prayer with faith. And if so, we know, God, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing because someone has come to faith in you. If someone is watching, God, that has come to faith in you, praise your name for your word, for your truth, for this beautiful gospel. Lord God, thank you for your mercy and your grace. May the rest of us as believers in Jesus, may we recommit our hearts to you. May we recommit our minds, God, that we will take in your word, that we will digest it, that we will meditate upon it, that we will memorize it, that we will live by it, that we will esteem it, that we will value it, that it will be our worldview, that our lives will be grounded in it. God, please help us. Because we won't make it through this culture without it. We will fall away apart from bringing ourselves under the authority, the truth of your infallible and perfect word. So as a church today, God, we proclaim, we believe it. We will live by it. It has changed, it, changed us and it is changing us. It's everything we need. Father, thank you for this time, this series, thinking about your word. I pray that you continue to draw us closer to it and ultimately to you, Jesus, as a result. We bless you in your precious name. Amen.